Okay. And I, I told people, I'm not a good coach. I'm a good thief. Like I find things that work for other people that would apply to my situation. I steal their ideas. I tweak them, make them my own. And, and it works for my people. And it's, I encourage everyone, go be a thief, man. Like take from, take the things that work. Don't be afraid to try them with your people. If they don't work, punt them and go find something else you can steal. Right. And if you, the, the end goal is regardless of what business that you're in, what you do for a living, you want to steal other people's ideas change them so that they become your own and then once they become your own tweak them to the point where they are so good that somebody else steals them from you and if you can do that then you're going to be successful in whatever it is you do today i had the pleasure of speaking with coach damon parker he is a world leader in the fact that he is the coach who leads the largest girls wrestling team in the world he also has an amazing feat of accomplishment to his record as a coach in the fact that he led girls and boys, separate teams, to state championships in the same year, coaching both girls and boys teams and led both of them to the state championship title in the same year. Amazing feat. So it's definitely an amazing conversation with Coach Damon, but what makes it even more interesting is his story around the fact that he decided to quit after accomplishing that amazing feat of leading two teams to state championship titles, and then the pivot that he made in his life that is impacting thousands and thousands of people today. It is a story of resilience, it is a story of hope, and it also is a business story because for coaches, he shares so many fundamental practices that apply to your business that can transport your business and catapult your business to a different level that you will not wanna miss it. I won't take up any more of your time. Let's get into this conversation with Coach Damon Parker. Well, let's do it. I'm going to say, Damon, thank you. Thank you for being here on the Coach Up Podcast. I am super excited to talk to you. One, because Damon, you are the first athletic coach I get to talk to. And so I played college basketball. So I'm always about talking to anybody in athletics. I've talked to a professional in an NBA now overseas basketball player, um, uh, NBA, NFL manager, but not an actual coach. So you're, yeah, so you do more than coaching. So I'm going to have you introduce yourself, Damon, tell us who you are and what you have going on. And then we're going to dig into some good stuff. Right. My name is Damon Parker. I am, uh, after spending 21 years as an educator uh, in the last year, took over as the executive director for the Jones Project, which is a nonprofit focused on teen mental health and suicide prevention. And additionally to that, I, on the side, do professional speaking and I coach a women's wrestling team. Alongside my wife, she is the uh, assistant coach for our program, one of one of four that we have. And it is, it is the largest girls wrestling team in the world, which uh, that's not hyperbole, it actually is. We have, you know, around 60 to 70 girls that come out every year and it's it's been a fantastic run. And the nice thing is the, with the way the, the schedule works for a nonprofit, we're still afforded the opportunity, even though I'm not teaching anymore, to continue coaching and, and impacting young people on a daily basis rather than, you know, just the one stop that we do with the nonprofit. So much to dig into. And, okay, you said you're no longer teaching. So have you retired completely? Recovering educator, yes. Um, spent, uh, yeah, 21 years, I think, uh, if, I, if my math is right. I think nine years teaching kindergarten and then, uh, the years after that, I think 12, I taught high school PE and strength and conditioning. 
Oh, wow. I'm, as you said, recovering educator, though. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I mean, I was in a fortunate position because I was talking with someone else who made a similar career move yesterday, Chad Parks over at Shawnee Heights High School. And he, he re recently left his position to, uh, to go work for FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And, you know, we, we both came to the consensus that it's, you know, most people when they leave education, it's for one of two reasons. They're either burned out and they're ready to do something else or, or uh, they're of retirement age. And I was neither of those. Uh, this was just too good of an opportunity to pass up and thought we'd be able to make an impact with more people if, uh, if we went this nonprofit route. And I was, you know, ready to continue to grow and, and change as a professional. So it was the right move for us. Yeah, we're going to get into that because the work that you're doing through the nonprofit is so needed. And especially, I mean, I think we, I think everyone might, might say this, we're, the times that we're in just continue to get worse. And I'm sure people in the 1900 said the same thing, right? It just right. progressively gets worse. Um, but we know that suicide and mental health issues affecting everyone, but especially our younger generation, um, definitely needs to be addressed. So I definitely want to get into that and the work that you're doing there. Um, first, I want to do a little bit of digging about your world's largest wrestling team and yeah. how did that start? How did you get into this? How long have you been coaching wrestling? Uh, I've been coaching wrestling for a long time. I think 13, 14 years, something like that. But in 2019, girls wrestling, they voted to officially sanction it here in the state of Kansas. And, you know, we could see the writing on the wall that uh, this was going to be something that that wasn't a, a passing fad. It was something that was really taking off nationwide. And there were a few states that had sanctioned up in like the, the early 2010s, 2012 around then. But then like around 2016, 2017, it just started blowing up nationwide. And girls wrestling at the high school level is the fastest growing sport in the country, regardless of, of age, of gender. It, it's just exploding. And you know, we saw an opportunity to to jump out in front of it here in the state of Kansas because, you know, we, we weren't sure how seriously some of the other coaches would take it until it really started to pop off. So uh, what my goal was, was once I heard that it was going to be sanctioned for the following season, get out there and just bang on doors and grab every gal we can find, get them into the room with the idea of if we build this thing and we get that foundation for our program before everybody else realizes that that this is a real thing and it's not going anywhere, then then we would have a distinct competitive advantage. And so that's that's what we did. And that first year we had 62 girls. So we went from, I think in my my eight years coaching high school wrestling prior to that, I could I could certainly count on one hand how many girls that we had out for the program. Because I mean we we've got a top level program and how many girls that have never wrestled before would want to come in every day and bang heads with some of the returning state champs that we had in the room. It just, it wasn't very appealing. But then when we split and I, I was able to go around and tell these girls, no, you're not going to practice with the boys. You're going to have your own practice time, your own, your own dedicated coaching staff, your own uniforms, even your own logo for this program. It's going to be completely separate. And it's going to be all yours. Girls jumped at the opportunity and we're at the point where, we kind of have to back off on recruiting a little bit because we've got some space constraints. You can only fit so many people in a room. And once girls see the benefit of, of what they gain out of showing up and doing this sport every day and the people that they can become through this sport as a vehicle, then they tell their friends about it. And then it, that snowball continues to roll downhill. And every time it rolls, we pick up some more people. And it's uh, it, it has been an absolute blast. I've never had more fun coaching in my life. Why are girls interested in wrestling 
you'd have to ask them. I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know why anybody does it, man. And I, I grew up doing uh, doing the sport, and it is hard. It is so hard. And what people don't understand is you go into a football game, and even if you play the worst game of your entire life, your team can still win. And if your team loses, you can blame that on the running back that fumbled the ball. Or you can blame that on the quarterback that threw an interception. If you lose a wrestling match, you got nobody else to blame but yourself. Right. And I think that's the lesson that this sport teaches. That uh, I've coached a myriad of other sports, and this is the one that really teaches that well. That and it teaches us how to lose. It teaches us how to win as well. But like, there's nobody that goes through the sport and just goes undefeated. It doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've coached four state championship teams. I've had I think 14 kids that have won state titles for me. I have yet to have an undefeated wrestler. So everybody takes an L sometimes. And if you don't, then uh, then your coach isn't scheduling hard enough competition for you. And we are all going to take an L in life at some point. And to learn how to handle that when everybody's watching and you're the only person out there and you get that life skill when you're 14, 15, 16 years old, that's invaluable, man. You can't pick that up anywhere else. And I still know a lot of adults that don't know how to take an L. And so I think the girls see the benefit from that and and plus the camaraderie of of what we can offer them we offer we have the most diverse program that you can imagine and i'm not just talking about uh ethnic, ethnically diverse i'm talking about uh socially diverse like you come into our mat room and you'll find cheerleaders and dancers but you'll also find kids that are in marching band you'll find debate kids straight kids gay kids you'll find everybody in our room and to take all these different people from a diverse swath of our high school, the kids that would never sit at the same lunchroom or lunch table together in the lunchroom and bring them all together and have them work towards a common goal. Our kids are, they're smart, man. They see the value in that and, and they want their friends to be a part of that. And so, yeah, it just, success kind of perpetuates itself. And I'm not talking about the championships that we win. I'm talking about the success that these girls are having walking down the hallway after the lessons that they've learned in our room and, and the people that they become, and they insist that their friends become a part of it. Well, that has a lot to do with how the coach coaches. So I'm gonna give some credit where credit is due because coming from an athletic background, I know the difference between teams that gel and then teams that still hate each other regardless. Right. And you don't learn those lessons. And so what's your philosophy? What, what are some of the key pillars you use when you coach? It's very simple. Uh, I, and I just had a conversation with our girls last night. We just did something called, we call it the Noob Academy. It's where it, it's pretty unique. I haven't seen anybody else do this. We take all of those girls, like I go out and give my spring recruiting pitch. And then all of those girls that have never done the sport before, I tell them, all right, first full week of June, we're going to bring you in here. We'll do this Noob Academy. It's a four-day camp, 100% free. We don't charge you a penny. But what makes it different than every other camp that you go to is it's required that my returners come back. And so my returners will come, they'll partner up with one of those kids and we teach them all the foundational aspects of the sport. And so each, each noob has a returner as their own personal coach. And so these girls in one week are learning what a lot of girls out in other programs are learning in an entire year. Because how often do you get one-on-one -on -one individualized coaching with someone that's your size, that's only there to work with you for an hour continuously? And the one thing that I've learned as, as a coach is I got to shut the heck up and get out of the way. You know what I mean? And so I, I give the basic overall uh, 
the idea of what we want to get accomplished, I give the girls not super clear instruction, but just tell the returners, all right, this is what your kid needs to work on. Look for the holes in a game and coach her up. And then I get the heck out of the way and just kind of watch. And to see what these girls looked like last night on the last day of camp versus the first day, it, it's incredible. Like the transformation in four days was was pretty insane. And the the one thing that I told them last night right before we adjourned is I think the reason that our program has a lot more success than most is because, and the reason that we keep winning state championships is because we don't talk about state championships. Like that, that is never a goal in our program. And if we win one, cool, like something else we can throw in the trophy case. But instead we make our program about relationships. And if you make your, your program about relationships and that's the focus, then the championships just kind of happen. You know, it's, it's a, a happy byproduct of, of working hard for the person next year rather than working hard for yourself. Had a conversation with somebody yesterday that said, uh, you know, well, one of the problems with, with wrestling in the state of Kansas is those darn Washburn rural girls won't stop crowding up next to the mat and pounding on the mat and screaming and all that. And I was like, no, that's a problem with everybody else. That's not a problem with us. Right. Because the problem is, you know, everybody else is looking at this as it's an individual sport. It's not. It is a team sport that has a small individual aspect. And until other people start to to kind of make that switch, it's going to be hard for them to catch up. And we're seeing it. Some other people are starting to realize what works. But but for those that treat it like an individual sport, that's what it's going to continue to be for them. And, and they won't gain the rewards that we gain out of this thing. So I told our girls last night, it's. I really only want four things out of this. Like, this is the reason that I coach, and this is the reason I want you here. It is my intention to give every girl that comes to our program strength, a voice, a platform from which to use it, and an experience that is so positive that when they have kids of their own, daughters of their own, they're going to insist that their daughter gets involved in wrestling. That's it. That's all I want. And if we, if we can accomplish those things, strength, a voice, a place to use your voice and, and a positive experience, then everything seems to work out pretty well for us. Okay. So strength, a voice, a platform. And what was the last one? A, a positive experience that's not just positive, but so positive that when they have a daughter that's three years old, they're going to say, oh man, only two more years so I can get her involved in wrestling. That's what I want. Okay, so talk, dig a little deeper for me into strength. When you say strength, what does that mean? Oh, we talked about this last night. Perfect example. If you can visualize a, a wrestling mat, I'll use one of my wife's little art projects here. Okay, so wrestling mat has a big circle on the outside. It's got a little circle on the inside. Uh, last night, we took one of our noobs. Never wrestled before. I, I called her up. I was like, Michaela, how much do you weigh? And Michaela's a very quiet girl. And and she was like, oh, I weigh about 98 pounds. And I weigh about 240. And I can still move a little bit for an old man. And I, I go out into the middle of that circle. I was like, Michaela, come on out here. And like, she's looking terrified. And I kind of bow up a little bit. And I'm like, all right, your job is to move me out of this circle. You know, she comes in and she pushes as hard as she can. I don't budge. I'm just frozen there. And I was like, all right, Michaela, look around the room and pick somebody else that's about your size. And she calls up another girl, they come in, I don't budge, right? And I was like, okay, now pick another one. They get another girl that comes up, they start pushing, and now I gotta really lean into them. Now I gotta move my feet a little bit. And then it's like, okay, now go pick another one. And, and they get four girls out there and they just run me out of the room. And there's nothing I could do to stop them. And I was like, at the beginning of practice tonight, when I talked about strength, this is what I'm talking about. 
Okay, I'm talking about the strength of the team. I want you to realize that there are going to be things that are in front of you in your life that seem impossible. And it is impossible for Michaela to move me out of this circle. You know, she weighs a third of what I weigh and she's never wrestled. She's never going to be able to move me on my own. But when you start to realize the strength of the other people around you and you start to be able to utilize their strength to help you accomplish your goals while you help them accomplish theirs, that's true strength. That's the strength of the team. And the, the other facet of that is there are going to be times when we need individualized strength, or we got to be able to handle things on our own. And we spent I know, this, this little camp, it's a very brief one. It's just an hour a night. And we probably spent out of the four hours collectively an hour and a half where we didn't touch another person in the room. We weren't talking about wrestling moves. We taught them how to stand and speak confidently. We taught them how to walk down the hallway with their shoulders back, not looking at their shoes. We taught them how to project from their belly so that later on in life, when, when they walk into a board meeting or they walk into you know, their, their place of business, they walk in like they own the dang place. And because I think far too often, at least in the past, and I, I don't work in this space anymore, but far too often we have conditioned women to be quiet, let the men do the talking and then support where necessary. And that's not what we want. We want these girls to be leaders. And, and when we talk about strength and voice, those two, two things go together oftentimes. Like it's not always physical strength. And so, yeah, when we, when we talk about strength, you know, we, the two main focuses are the strength of the people around you and then the strength for yourself when you need to utilize it. And yeah, I think we've done a, a relatively good job of that so far. Like, like anything, we've always got more work left to do, but it's coming along. I love that example that you gave. Damon, where did you get this passion or desire to teach this to your your team, to your girls? Because even just the strength and with you talking about the voice, that's not typically something that is a concern of a coach or they spend time on. So where does this come from with you? Uh, a couple different places. My, I, I have a daughter myself. She's, she's 11 years old and she was six, seven years old when they first sanctioned girls wrestling. And I just kind of looked at it from the, the lens of if I were not the coach of this team, what would I want my daughter's coach to focus on? What would I want her to get out of this sport? And we just started kind of crafting our, our philosophy from there. And it, it constantly, it constantly changes. It constantly evolves. I'm, I'm a big believer in the saying evolve or die. Like that's how it works. Like you can't coach everything the same way forever. You can't do business the same way forever because the world's constantly changing. People are constantly changing. And I found out real quick when I first started coaching girls, cause I've been coaching boys for a long time. It's a very different sport. Um, same moves, same wrestling mat. It's a completely different animal because you can't approach girls the same way that you can guys. And, you know, we talked about those, those four things that are really important to us. We added number four just this last season. It had always been, we want to give you, you know, strength of voice and a platform from which to use it. But then like we had a tournament last year, right before Christmas break, where our girls were spent, man. They were getting a little burnt out. It's a hard season. And they were ready for that Christmas break. And we underperformed big time. Like in the four years that I've been coaching, we've only not finished first three times. Okay, so four years we've won everything except for three little things here and there. And you mean you week, mean matches in I'm, all the I'm matches? Talking about like uh, a, a team. Uh, sorry, I, I I forget. Some people don't know the sport the way that I do. Uh, <laughs> you, we give, they keep a team score. So like right, right, if 
if I were to go wrestle a match, then as you know, Susie Smith, um, I win my individual match, but that that match that I won also adds points to a team. Right, right. And so as a team, we yeah. had in four years, we had only finished second three times and we never finished below second. Let's put and that in context. Team, How many and I don't even know what to call the whole thing. Is like it a team match yeah, or a team throughout a season? We we would have it, it kind of depends. You've got duels where like if you wrestle for South High School, I wrestle for Central High School, and we face each other one on one. That's called a duel, okay? Um, and if you go into a tournament, that's where all of our girls are wrestling against girls from you know depending on the tournament, fifteen to maybe thirty five other schools. You gotcha. know, and out of all of those duels and tournaments, we lost one duel. And we we finished second prior to this one that I'm talking about. Finished second at one other tournament. And, that and was how many do you do in a season? Like uh, generally 18, 18 to twenty. Okay. Um, and so That's we don't lose very often. We're not used to it. Okay. And at this tournament last year, we underperformed, which is on me. Like if your team has problems, that's your head coach's fault. And we were not gelling very well as a team. And just you could tell the girls just didn't want to be there that day. We finished second to the team that was ranked number 19 in the country, which even still, like, we expected to beat them. Like, that, it wasn't a thing. Like, we just, we knew we were going to win. We showed up and we didn't. And then I found myself slipping into what I used to do as a head coach when I was coaching the boys. Have you hit that subscribe button? If not, go ahead and hit that subscribe button for the Coach Up podcast. We are new. I am excited about bringing to you every single week, probably more often, experts in every single field that will help you, one, if you're a coach, learn how to grow and scale your business to six and seven figures. And if you are not a coach, learn how to grow your life in the multitude of areas we're talking about. But the only way that you know what new information is coming out is you have to be subscribed so you get notified when a new episode drops. So go ahead, hit that subscribe button. Also, I'm working to get to a thousand subscribers in the very first 30 days of the podcast being dropped. So I need your help. Share this with somebody, make sure you subscribe, share it with a friend, share it with a family member, share it with a couple of people, ask them to subscribe as well. And we are going to grow this podcast as you grow from these amazing coaches that are pouring into you. Let's get coached up. Like if the boys were underperforming halfway through that performance when none of our guys were out there wrestling, I'd call them into the hallway and I'd read them the riot act and give them the business and like, you know, kind of the stereotypical thing you see in the movies. And I've never been one to yell and cuss at my kids. That's not what I do. But uh, it's, uh, I guess that works for some people, but that's just not my, the, the way that I do business. But, and I, and I wasn't cussing at them, I wasn't yelling at them, but I was letting them know in no uncertain terms that I was not happy with their performance and they needed to decide if they really wanted to be there or not. And when I would do that with the boys team, <laughs> I'd do that with the boys team and then that machismo takes over for the boys and it's all, let's go, like all that kind of stuff. Girls are different. And I, I gave them the same type of speech that I'd given my boys for a decade and half the girls immediately start crying, you know, because, and it was at that point that I realized like, they are not here to win. Like, and I always knew that, but they, they're there like for relationships and for trying to make other people feel proud of them. And in that moment, like my, the way that I projected to them 
must have given off the the impression that I wasn't proud of them. I wasn't proud of their performance, which couldn't have been further from the truth. But at the same time, like I didn't do a good job of communicating that. And so I kind of reflected throughout the day and that bus ride home was, was the longest bus ride home in my life because I realized that I, I had made that an experience that wasn't great for our girls. And so stayed up really late that night, crafted a, a long email that I was going to send out to everybody and then wanted to sleep on it. I never send anything important without sleeping on it first, slept on it. And then I basically let them know the next day. I was like, I know that I've always said this to you all, but I want you to have it in writing. And I want you to understand that I do not care about wins and losses. And I slipped yesterday. I messed up. And first of all, I'm going to apologize for that because that's not what you guys signed up for to get your butts chewed for not wrestling well. Uh, you signed up for a great experience. And so I promise you that from here on out, like we might win state. If we do, cool. We might finish seventh at state. And if we do, cool. But I can promise you there's not another team in the state that's going to have as much fun as we do over the next three months. And there's not going to be another team that has a great as, as great of an experience as you all do over the next three months. And then that changed the way that I coached. It changed the way that our girls interacted with each other. And and it was just a completely different season from that point forward. And so that's when we added that fourth one, that this is going to be an experience that is so positive. You want to get your kids involved. Not you want to, you insist that your kids get involved in it. And then what do you know, fast forward to the end of February, that same team that beat us by 79 points at that tournament, that was ranked number 19 in the country. We go to state and we just absolutely crush them and, and win a state championship. And it's because we stopped focusing on wins and losses, started focusing on each other and the process and, and just enjoying the sport for what it is. And, and that was a really positive learning experience for me because, you know, I learned that, you know, coach boys, coach girls ain't exactly the same thing. Mm. I mean, you give, I, I so want to call you coach Damon. So I'm probably going to start. Yeah. Most people call, I, I tell my kids, we're on a first name basis, man. My first name is coach. So that's, that works. Yes. Okay. It just instinctively comes. You're, even though you coach athletics and oftentimes I talk with coaches who are in some form of business, what you're talking about translates to everything. And so the relationship portion is key in life, period. That's relationship is our currency that moves us, that ha makes us happy, that makes us sad, helps us to grow causes us to digress, all of that. So I'm curious, what was the shift that you made when you said, you know, you stayed up late, you needed to readjust how you coached, you realized girls are different from boys and it needed to be about the relationships, about them. What's the shift that you made that started really honing in on building, helping them build the relationship and you building those relationships with them? Well, I, I started thinking about thinking about what we were doing through their lens on that one specific experience, through their lens, rather than mine because that when i said that was the longest bus ride i had ever had home that's because like my entire life man i've, I've struggled with the imposter syndrome stuff which i think a lot of people that have been successful in their in their place of business or their their cho chosen profession i think they struggle with that as well and i start instantly having those those thoughts of is this what i was meant to do was this whole thing a fraud was it all smoke and mirrors and and because we got a jump start like we got out in front of everybody and now they're all catching back up which you know upon reflection and and working with my therapist all that kind of stuff realize of course that's nonsense you know but at the same time it was like i think the reason that i kind of gave them that that little chewing in the hallway was because i was reflecting what was important to me at that moment and not what was important to them 
And so, you know, I, I start thinking like, oh, everybody's, we're ranked number one in the state and we lose to this other team. And so everybody's going to think that I'm a bad coach. And then that whole bus ride home was just about me, 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 me. And then by the time I went to bed, I was like, that, that's why it's a problem. It's because like this is the winning part is about you. And just told myself, like, you've always preached to these girls that it's not about winning. So why are you making it personally about winning right now? And like make it what it's supposed to be about. And so that's what we did. And we, we just tried to put our girls in more positions of leadership. We tried to be really, really intentional about, about working on some of that, uh, that social type stuff, working on the, the emotional type things that girls are going through every day. Like we had practices where like we gave each one of them a journal and we would have them sit down and we, we talked about some traumas that they had been through, things that we can do to get through these traumas, uh, how we can lean on other people. And we had practices where we came in and we spent our, our two hour practice block and we didn't do any wrestling whatsoever. You know, in, in the past, like a younger version of myself, oh, we've got to get this done and this done and this done. We got to work on this technique and we got to get this conditioning done. And it was like, no, man, like that's not what's important. We can punt that. We can, there's time to do all that stuff. But what's important is, you know, cultivating these relationships and, and making our girls feel strongly about each other and helping them through the tough things that they're going through right now. And so, yeah, I think it, it, we do things a little bit non-traditionally around here. I don't think most people do it that way, but it seems to be working for us. And it, that, that, will, that relationship building thing will always be an intentional thing from here on out, just doing, doing business just a little different. Yeah. When you talked about assigning one of the returners to a, a new, right. is that what it is? In, new? Noob Academy, yeah. We take <laughs> those noobs and, and bring them in and run them through a quick boot camp. Um, you know, that is obviously it's building leadership for those who are returning. It gives them a sense of responsibility, a sense of ownership, um, and they're invested. And then obviously the new person is leaning on somebody. So I see how that relationship is building on a one-on-one. -on -one. How do you do that more on a group basis? Or is it those micro relationships that build into the bigger dynamic of the team? Both. Uh, and one thing that, that I found that was kind of an unintentional byproduct of doing this noob academy. This was, I can't remember, third or fourth. Uh, no, it was the third year because we've been around for four years. That first year, everybody was a noob. So we didn't have any, anybody but myself and my assistants that could, that could teach them. But uh, the, the really nice thing about it is a lot of those girls are going to be freshmen next year. And so their only school experience was in grammar school or in middle school. And now all of a sudden they go from a middle school to what in Kansas, at least, is a relatively large high school. We got about 2,000 kids. And that's a pretty intimidating thing for, for a kid coming fresh out of eighth grade. And so by spending that week with, with those older kids, I mean, how many freshmen come into the high school and have a senior that's looked up to by other people in our building? Because like those girls that are junior seniors, are, I mean, they are the cool kids because they're a part of what we're doing. And when they can yell down the hallway, hey, Maddie, and then Maddie yells back, oh, my God. And like they come and they talk to each other like their peers see that. And it gives them a, a sense of familiarity when they come up into this really large building that they've never been in before. It makes it a little bit less intimidating. Um, another thing that just a, a recent example, something that we've done that, again, was pretty intentional and me trying to get the heck out of the way. We have what we call our, our SWAT teams and our SWAT teams are spring slash summer workout accountability teams. So, I mean, as a former athlete, you know, like if you want to excel at what you're doing, it can't just be during season. Then you put it down and come back to it next. It don't work that way. And, but at the same time, 
there are two ways coaches can go about it. They can make things mandatory and everybody else is going to have to run laps if you don't show up. Or you can incentivize it and you can make it something that the kids want to do rather than something that they have to do. So what we did is we took all of our returning seniors, we have 12 of them, and we, we had a draft. It was a silent draft where by text, they didn't know what order they were drafting and all they knew was who was left on the board. And I, I had them each draft someone that they wanted to be on their SWAT team. And so what we do with that is like, and then we kind of went through and then you get to the end and like seniors don't know any of the eighth graders coming up. So then it's just a crapshoot. Like, Oh yeah, I'll take Sally. Why not? You know? And what I told them before the draft is don't draft the best wrestler. That's not who you want. You want to draft the person that's going to show up. Okay. Because you, every time that somebody shows up to one of these off season workouts, you get a point. And every time that they come to a camp, you get three points. And so it's not about who's the best, which it's never been in our program. It's about who's going to show up. And, and then that gives a little bit of an accountability piece to those girls that are on a SWAT team. Because it's like, well, if I don't show up today, then I'm going to have four or five other girls in my SWAT team that are not very happy with me because then my team lost points. And rather than a, a punishment thing or anything like that, what we're going to do is that, like when we get right up to our season, that first Saturday, we generally have a practice. And at the end of that practice, we're going to have a limousine come up and pick up the girls that won the SWAT team competition, take them off to go eat pizza together. You know, just a little small thing that we can do that, that gives them an incentive to, to be the one team that gets to get into that limo, you know? And, uh, and so that way, again, I can kind of get the heck out of the way. And rather than me calling kids saying, hey, why don't you come to summer stuff? Now, each one of those SWAT teams has what we call a lieutenant. And a lieutenant is the step in the military that's before captain. And so... I'm going to pick my team captains this year out of who is my best lieutenant, who needs to be promoted, who did the best job of, of communicating with other people and who did the best job of, of making other people want to work hard because those are the, the traits that we want to take them into their future professions. And, and when they get into the business world, man, if I, I haven't spent a lot of time there, but my wife certainly has. And if you can't communicate, you're not going to be in business very long. If you can't lead people, get them to show up, you're not going to be in business for very long. And so we're trying to give those skills to them now as they're, you know, 17 years old. I absolutely love that. As you're talking about it, of course, I'm thinking of my audience and coaches who are listening and thinking, how would they apply this? Um, I have to a coach who works specifically with group coaching dynamics, because as you know, individual versus coaching a group, completely different, right. as you have obviously stated over the last few minutes. Um, but because a lot of coaches in the business space, and I shouldn't say a lot, many just think, oh, if I'm doing one of one, then I can do a group because it's time, financially, it's better work together, but don't necessarily understand the dynamics that need to happen. But what you just talked about would make us so much sense, even with adults of having accountability within a group coaching program where you have teams and when you're beholden to other people with an incentive, it completely changes how you approach things. And it also creates deeper relationships. Um, and it doesn't feel like somebody else is driving the boat, like the authoritarian. And so I absolutely love what you're well, doing. You are a hundred percent school. And, sorry, I don't know. Well, one yeah. thing, like, I, I hear from people a lot. Like I taught kindergarten for a long time and then I jumped up to teaching juniors and seniors in high school. People are like, oh man, that's a big jump. No, it's not. It's, people are the same. And for your listeners that like, oh, I don't coach high schoolers. I don't work with, with students. I work with adults. People are all the same. 
And yeah, they're, they're on the surface, they're different. Okay, five-year-olds and 18-year-olds look very different on the surface. They're really not once you get into it. Okay, and I've, I've taught in really, really low income areas and the school that I teach at now is relatively affluent. Those kids aren't any different. Okay, their houses are different sizes and their, their skin color is different and like, they might speak different languages, but all human beings are the same, whether they're students, whether they're adult professionals, people want to, people want to be seen, people want to feel valued. And if you're in a position of leadership or you're working with other people or you've got clients or you, you've got somebody you're trying to sell something to, if you can't make them feel seen and if they don't feel valuable, they're not going to do business with you. And I don't care if we're talking about the businesses, you know, teaching them how to run a half Nelson or wrestling pack practice, or if you're trying to get them to buy a mastermind program from you, if they can't see value in what you're selling and they can't see value in working with you. And if they can't see that, that you see them and where they are at that moment, that season in their life, like it's, it's not going to work out well for you. So and that's why I love coaching kids, man. It's like, we, we teach them that early that all of this stuff transfers into later on in life and whether you know it or not, and it, it'll show itself in different ways throughout your life. But I think that those lessons that we're teaching 15 year old girls are every bit as applicable to 55 year old women. Absolutely. Absolutely. As you're talking about being seen and valued, I do want to shift to the work you're doing with the nonprofit. And so Absolutely. first of all, tell me, Please tell me the story again. So I got to hear it, but I want the listeners to hear it about how you even came to be a part of the nonprofit. Man, it's, that's a long one. Uh, you know, I go out into schools and I got to try to squeeze it into a 59 minute keynote. So uh, I'll, tr I'll try to give you the, the Cliff's Notes version here. Yeah. I, for a long time, I was a teacher and coached football, coached wrestling. But then in the spring and summer, I, I didn't do that so that I could do professional speaking engagements to kind of supplement the teaching salary a little bit. And if you rewind, I used to coach both boys and girls wrestling and, during the same season. And that, that would be, since we had so many kids on both squads, we couldn't practice them at the same time. So we had to split them. And so, you know, we had gosh, 127 kids in our program at one point in the, or sorry, in the two separate programs. And so I would teach all day, get to the end of the day. And I would coach boys from 3.15 to 5.15, coach girls from 5.30 to 7.30. Then I take a shower. Then I do the administrative type work. Then I, I go home and it's nine o'clock and my kids are already in bed. And I had had a lifelong struggle with my own mental health issues. And this very quickly exacerbated that. And in 2021, my second year of coaching both sports, uh, February 25th of that year, we did something that nobody else in the world has ever done. Uh, we won a boys state championship. I'm sorry, a girls state championship. And then fast forward, not even two days, 46 hours later, my, my boys won the six day state championship, which was the first one in our school's history. And so there's never been another team, or at least up until that point, that had won both a boys and a girls state championship in the same season. Right. And then I promptly, promptly resigned um from coaching the boys program the the reason being i was just spread too thin and i just i couldn't do it anymore especially with my mental health in the state that it was in back then which and like a lot of coaches i did a great job of keeping that a secret from everybody it, it was not something that i publicized it was something my own wife didn't even know about uh but I, in the media like it obviously kind of raised some eyebrows because i mean who wins state then drops the mic and walks out like that doesn't happen especially you know i'm not young but i'm i'm not at retirement age yet certainly not the age to to back away and 
So I just kind of cited health issues. You know, I didn't, I wasn't specific about it, whatever. And my wife works at Advisors Excel, which is an enormously successful, successful financial intermediary for financial advisors around the country. And through this process, can't remember how, I got to meet Cody Foster, who is the founder of that company. And we went out for a couple of lunches, a couple of dinners, whatever. And we started talking about this thing. And I kind of told him about my mental health struggles. And at this point, I'd spent a few months getting in with a therapist and really working on what I needed to work on, was seeing a good bit of improvement. And I remember Cody being like, man, this story is too good not to share. And so we, we kind of kicked it around for a while. And then it was like, all right, let's re reach out to some media contacts that I have through the sport. And a guy named Brent Maycock wrote an article about it. Um, Five-page newspaper article came out on the front page May 16th. And, and I can get you a link if you want to share that one. But it, uh, it kind of exploded. Uh, got picked up by a bunch of other newspapers nationwide, got shared, uh, or got picked up by Yahoo Sports, run worldwide, shared a million times on social media, all that kind of stuff. And prior to that article, people only ever brought me in to speak as a professional speaker at, for associations, conferences, things like that. They only brought me in to speak on leadership, team building, things of that nature, because, you know, like the, our wrestling team's success had also garnered a lot of attention. After that article came out, we're now on the tail end of the pandemic exclusively. The only thing people wanted me to come in and talk about was mental health. And so we started doing that a little bit and got a, got a great response from it. And this is only adult audiences at this point. Sit down with, with Cody at one of these little lunches or we went out for a drink or something. And he was like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about starting a nonprofit and I would like you to be the executive director. And I said, hmm, okay, that's interesting. I was like, you know what, hold that thought. I got to go use the restroom for, the minute, for a minute go to the bathroom, pull out my phone, and I Google, what is an executive director? You know, because I, I had worked my whole life in education, had no idea what nonprofits did. Like, I knew they existed, but I didn't know what scope a, a director would, would have. Like, after reading a 30-second a Wikipedia entry, it was like, okay, yeah, I can do this YOLO. And so, like, go back out and tell them, like, all right, let's, let's roll, man. Like, I got to talk to my wife first, but, like, this sounds like something that we can do. Have you always dreamed of doing voiceover from home but have no idea how to get started? My name's Jesse Carroll and I put together the perfect course for you. It's called the Voiceover Jumpstart Course. It's a course that's designed to take you from knowing absolutely nothing about voiceover all the way to everything you need to know to be a working professional in only six weeks. So if you want more information, head over to jessiecarrollcoaching.com and you can even book a one-on-one -on -one call with me if you want to find out if it's right for you. So thanks for listening to the Coach Up Podcast and hope to see you in the course. And I asked him, so what's your vision for this thing? And he says, well, I don't know, Mr. Executive Director, you tell me. And I was like, oh, okay. So we're just starting from scratch. And what we came, came up with was, Cody was basically like, you know, let's, let's use your skill set. Let's, let's do what you're good at. And my skill set is like, I'm not good at many things. There, there are a couple things that I'm really good at, though. And one of those is being on stage with a microphone. And another one is connecting with kids. And it was like, so if we can take those two skills and we can somehow dovetail that with this nonprofit, then we can see some success with this thing. And so, so that's what we did. We, we look at ourselves as kind of the tip of the spear where I go into a school, I stand on stage in their auditorium or in their gym, what have you. I talk to the kids for about an hour. And then 
if depending on where you're at, it's going to look a little different. But, you know, your own life story doesn't really change. So about three quarters of that presentation is going to look pretty similar no matter where you are. If you're in a graduating class of two or two thousand. Um, but the difference is there's a quarter of that presentation where we really highlight the tiers of intervention that are going on in that building. So like what specifically would a kid do if they're struggling with their own mental health, if they're having suicidal ideation, what should they do? Because it's gonna look very different at this 6A school versus this 1A school that's three hours away in Western Kansas. And so we, we give some kids some actionable steps on what they should do if they're in that situation or if they're not in that situation, what they should be doing for those people around them that they care about. Because I tell kids, I guarantee you, even if you're in a great place, at some point in your life, somebody that you love is going to be dealing with this thing and you're going to need a way to help them out. Like you got to be that hero for that person. So, so that's essentially what we do. And we, we traveled all over the place, thought it was going to be a, a slow burn this year. We were hoping for maybe 15, maybe 20 schools that we get into and tallied them up the other day. And we got into 91 schools and traveled over 20,000 miles, talked to 30 something thousand kids. I can't remember how many, but, uh, but yeah, it, it was one of those things where if you got speakers out there that are listening to your podcast, you got somebody that like any is in any kind of relationship business, which in a way they all are. Mm -hmm. I was told when I first started speaking a long time ago, don't spend any time or effort or money on marketing. Like, don't do that. Like in the speaking business, like your best marketing is your talk. And you get really, really dang good. And you get up on stage and you kill it on that presentation. There are always going to be two people in the audience that are going to be your lead for your next for your next gig. And if you just are as helpful as possible for people and you just put it out there, like there is nobody else that they've ever seen that's as good as you, they're going to go home and tell their wife that's a conference planner or they're going to tell that other administrator or whatever. And so I took that advice and I, I found that to always be true on the professional side of the speaking industry. And it, it's true when you're working in high schools too, because I, there was an article that came out uh, this past July and it kind of outlined what we were going to be doing. And I've got an old wrestling buddy that is a principal at a very small high school here in Kansas. And uh, he called me out to council Grove and he was like, I want you to come like beginning of the year in August, we go there and great response from the kids. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're booked in St. Mary's and Silver Lake and Marysville and all these other tiny towns that most people haven't heard of. And then it just explodes from there. And the, the thing that we're most proud of on this whole project is it's, it's made a big enough impact with kids that of those 91 organizations and schools and stages that we were on this year, we didn't make a single cold call, not one. They, all of that business, all of that uh, interest came from that one first presentation where we went up there and we did a dang good job. He tells people and then people tell people and that's how it works. So again, we talked about how important relationships are and how that translates from wrestling into the business world. I mean, if you give somebody something that nobody else can give them and you invest in that relationship and you do something for them, you add value to their life, their business, their whatever, and then you get done. And rather than expecting a thank you from them, you write handwrite a thank you and send it to them. And you say, thank you for having me out. I really appreciate being a part of what you guys have going on then they can't help but pick up the phone and call somebody else and insist that their friend or their colleague, their coworker, whoever, somebody in their network insists that they bring me out to go do my thing. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of parallels there, even though what we're doing is pretty non-traditional. And I think there's a lot of parallels between what we do with the Jones Project, what we do with our wrestling program and what your listeners are going to do in their place of business.
you couldn't have said it better. You're a hundred percent right. And just the way that you said to conduct that business that you provide so much value and we hear that, but I don't think people really resonate with it. But like you said, you've gotten really good at the talk that you give and it only took one, but it was so impactful that people said, oh, I have to share. And I, you know, I use the example that people say all the time, we are all in sales. We all refer people. When you go to the restaurant that you absolutely love, it was so amazing. How many people do you tell? And the restaurant is not paying you at all, but they did an amazing, they provided amazing service, amazing value for your dollar. Same thing in business, same thing when you're speaking. And so thank you for that reminder, but the way that you put it and the, obviously the results that you all have gotten speak for themselves. Um, the 91 schools that you've been in, are they all in Kansas or are you traveling out of the state? Yes. Uh, we've, again, uh, unfortunately, word of mouth doesn't stay within our borders. You know what I mean? So like when we first started this thing, the idea was if this takes off the way that we think it's going to, we're going to be spread too thin. And I don't want to find myself in the same position that I was in when I was coaching both boys and girls wrestling and trying to be everything to everyone. So we want to get focused on one specific area. And I, I spent most of my life in Kansas. I was born in LA, but spent most of my time here. I really care about this, this state and this community. And so if we had to focus our area or focus our, our efforts in one area, it's the state of Kansas. So we've, the, and there've been a couple exceptions here and there for, for different reasons. Um, so like, you know, if we've got a, a really substantial donor that, that wants to fund what we're doing, then we'll come out, go to their alma mater. We'll go to their place of business, what have you. But for the most part, we try to stay within our borders because we have 440 schools here, I think, something like that. And so if I were to hit 90 schools every single year, then the, the unique thing about the way we're doing it and our target audience is I can then just start over because all of those kids that were freshmen when I went to that school in year one will have been graduated and gone. And even if they, they aren't, like let's say that we hit our stretch goal and we hit 150 schools in a year. Uh, Damon Parker as a freshman was a very different man than Damon Parker as a senior. So as long as there's a couple of years of break in there, kids are going to pick up different things and find different points. And plus, like I said earlier, evolve or die. Man. Like a, the talk is just constantly evolving to, to meet the needs of the people that are sitting in the audience. And I, I think that's the biggest thing that, that most of your listeners could probably take away. It doesn't matter what business you're in or what you're doing. Sometimes you can come out and directly ask them, or sometimes like you got to kind of read between the lines a little bit. But when I talk to a counselor or an administrator before I go to that school, I would say, what's the biggest problem that y'all got in your school right now? What, what's the one thing that if you could snap your fingers and fix it, you would snap it right now? And once you find out what that problem is, then it becomes a lot easier to reverse engineer it and figure out, okay, well, how can I best be of service towards solving this problem? And different schools are going to have different problems. Different businesses are going to different have, have different problems. So will different clients. So look at it through that lens because people say, oh, oh we got to add value, add value. And it's like, you know, you see t-shirts that say add value. What does that mean? Well, I mean, how, how are you going to add value? Like, that's a great concept, but like, if you, if you're not really focused on how you're going to do that, then it's just a t-shirt, you know, but it's, I think the best way that you can add value is how do I make somebody else's life easier? How do I make their business more successful? How do I make that or help them attain their goals or how do I help them solve their problems? And I think that last one, solving their problems is, is the easiest way to go about finding how you can add value in somebody else's life. 
Yeah. When you talk to coach, when you talk to schools and you ask them that, like before you go in, like what's the biggest problem that they're facing? What are you finding is the majority in Kansas? Man, it it really it really differs based on the school. You know, uh, uh, it's in some of our more affluent schools, they they have a real problem with prescription bill stuff, um, stuff that is was prescribed to someone else that these kids that are from affluent backgrounds can afford to have. That's not a problem that we have in some of our uh, urban or more low income areas that we go to. You know, they've got a whole different set of problems. Um, sometimes it's bullying issues because, you know, it's, it's just like a team. If you got one crop that comes through and you got five or six kids that really aren't on board with the mission, that can derail the entire train, you know? And so we'll have some schools and, and through no fault of their own, these kids are don't have the social skills that they necessarily need to interact with other people in a positive way. Because if you think about some of these kids, we had some kids that weren't in, depending on which school district you're in, some kids that weren't in school, like at least not full-time for like almost three years, you know, the tail end of one year, one full year and the beginning of another year where they were either wearing masks and they couldn't see each other or they weren't at school or they're in some kind of hybrid format or they're doing you know, remote education from home at a critical time in their development where they're no longer interacting with other people and they don't learn how to read social cues. They don't get that direct instruction from teachers on how to handle certain situations. So it's like, it does not surprise me. We got a, a group of kids come through and a, an administrator tells me like, oh, we got a big bowling problem. It's like, okay, yeah, that's because those kids haven't worked together, you know, and they're just, they're emotionally where they should be when they're in sixth grade. But the problem is they're sophomores, you know? So, uh, so it, it really just varies depending on the school. But if, if you look hard enough, there's a there's a way that that you can find a way to add value for just about any problem that somebody's got going on. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about mental health? Um, because I know I don't know the breadth of which it all encompasses. And so when you're talking to students or um, even maybe donors or who have, what have you, like, can you break down what mental health encompasses? And I know that's a large question, but. It is, and it's, it's really difficult to, to pinpoint. And that's what makes this whole thing such a challenge because mental health, what does that encompass? That encompasses depression, anxiety, panic disorder, you know, aunt, schizophrenia, all the way down the list. There are just hundreds of things that can fall into that category. But then at the same time, within each one of those things, there's a, there's a spectrum. You know, you've got, like, let's talk about depression for a second. With depression, you've got all the way up from clinical treatment resistant depression where you've got uh, suicidal ideations and you're hospitalized multiple times a year, et cetera. And then it goes down to, to mild to moderate depression and like situational depression, you know, with anxiety, you got some people that are worried about that game they got on Friday night. Some people that are worried about that test. Some people that are worried about that meteor that might come flying out of the sky and crush their car, you know? So there's, there's just differing levels of all of these things. But the way I explain it to kids is, you know, when you've got something going on in your life, uh, or sorry, not in your life, in between your ears. And that is affecting the way that you show up for other people. It's affecting the way that, that you work towards the goals that you have in your life and the way that you interact with other people on a daily basis. Then that would be some kind of mental health concern that we would want to find some kind of outlet and find strength of the group again, find somebody else 
that knows a little bit more than us, that has some experience here, where we can learn from either their training or from their lived experience. And that's something that, that I give to all kids. I, at the beginning, I give a disclaimer that's like, man, I'm not a mental health professional. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm an old PE teacher that happens to be good with a microphone, you know, but, but I do have some lived experience myself and through telling stories of my lived experience, hopefully that's beneficial for some of you in the audience. And I tell them at the same time, it's like, if I come to a school and there's 2,500 kids in an auditorium and I reach two of them, but it makes an impactful difference in their life, then I hope the other 2,497, 98 of you, I hope you're okay with that one hour because it may have saved somebody, you know? And I hope that like by hearing that one hour presentation, that helps you with those kids that are, or those family members or those friends who later on in your life are, are going to be struggling with some aspect of their mental health. And then you'll have an idea about what you can do to help them out. So, so again, I think it's, it's really difficult to clearly define. And that's the other thing too, that makes it tough for treatment. Like it's all symptom-based. Like you go to a doctor and if you see your, your pediatrician as a kid or your primary physician, like that's not their area of focus. You know, they, like they're, they're designed, they're trained to, to treat kind of everything and so if you're going to see your gp and they get out the checklist and they check the boxes like they're not doing a real deep dive right there like you got to get with somebody that really knows what they're talking about because you go to your gp and you got a bone sticking out of your forearm they're like oh you broke your radius we can we can fix that right, right. but you go in and they're like there's there's no clearly defined checklist where it's like yep you have treatment resistant depression like that that doesn't exist it shows itself in so many different ways for different people it's not something that you can see visually in front of you and that's what makes it so frustrating for the people that are going through it and the people that are trying to help them but uh, so we try to give a, a high level view of of what you can do when you're in that situation and how to get to the people that can best help you out with that and I was going to ask about that you mentioned the resources that you share so about 25 percent of your talk is the resources tangibly that the students right. can actually utilize. So what are some of those? I know it varies from school to school, but maybe you sharing some, uh, those that are listening may not be Absolutely. aware that they can look in their, their school and have those. So what are some of those? For sure. Uh, and, and just like you said, it's completely different depending on where you go. Some schools have really comprehensive mental health programs and social emotional learning lessons that they do every single week, at least once, sometimes twice a week. And some places have nothing in place whatsoever. They cross their fingers and hope for the best. Most schools are somewhere in between there. And so for those schools that have really comprehensive programs, you know, one thing that I found is very useful is I put up a QR code that it has, if a kid takes a picture of it, we always have them take a picture of that because most people don't know. If you take a picture of, or if you scan a QR code, you navigate to that page, then you leave that page. You've essentially lost that page unless you check your internet history, go back, whatever. If you take a picture of that QR code, you can press and hold on that picture and it will navigate you to that page. And so what I have the kids do is it's like, all right, who has a cell phone with you? 900 hands go up. It's like, all right, take a very clear, focused picture of this next slide. And then at the end, I can tell them, okay, well, when we get done here today, because I don't want to waste time with you scrolling through your phones right now, but when we get done here today, you're going to pick up your phone, you're going to press and hold on that thing. And that's going to take you to a page that has all of the resources that we talked about here today that are at your school. Plus, it's got the general things that I give out to everybody, like regardless of what they have in their school. And, and then you can access those whenever. And the cool thing about those live QR codes not in, versus a static one with a live QR code, if I come across a resource a year from now, that I want those kids to have, I can go back in, add that link. And then any kid that scans it from that point forward 
will have access to it. And the cool thing about them taking a picture is, you know, three years from now, if they're like, you know what, I should probably check in with somebody. Or, you know what, I got a friend that's struggling. What was that app that he talked about? They've all got that picture in their Google Photos backup. So they can go back there and now they've got it all right at their thumb thumb length, you know. Now, some of those things that we put in there for, for everybody, there's, if your listeners aren't familiar, and I'll just pretend that they aren't, there's a website and a service called Seven Cubs. Now, Seven Cubs is not just for kids, but it works great for kids. And on the other, other end of the line, there are not trained therapists there. There are trained listeners. And these listeners are there. You, you can call them, text them, chat with them online, whatever you want to do. And it's completely anonymous. And they're there just to listen. And they interact with you, of course. But there's a lot of value sometimes in being able to get something off of our chest. You know, like I'll go in and sit with my therapist and I'll just say, so what's going on? And then I just start talking and then all of a sudden it's 50 minutes later and it's like, wait a minute, you didn't say anything. I just paid you for that, you know, <laughs> but like, but there's a lot of value in that, you know? Okay. And so uh, seven cups is a great resource for kids. And then there's an app called a friend asks. And I know we've got a specific one for Kansas, but um, I know there's also one that's a kind of a nationwide app. And I tell everybody, parents, adult audiences, kids, everybody needs to have this app on their phone. Because basically when you go there, it, if you're struggling with something, it's it's got a link that says need help. And you click there and it gives you some ideas based on where you live. If you've got a friend that's struggling, you click on that thing and it essentially gives you a flow chart. It'll tell you like all the warning signs and like, okay, well, she said this, you should probably do that. He did this, you should probably talk to this person. And it just gives those people that have no idea where to start a great starting place. So a friend asks, it's a free app. Everybody needs to download it. And then, of course, we push out 988, which is is not yet something that everybody knows about because uh, it just came out this last July. But that's the National Suicide and Substance Abuse Crisis Hotline. And the example I use with kids, I say, all right, let's say today, envision you get out of your truck when you get home, you get off the bus, whatever, and your house is on fire. What three numbers are you going to call? And they all say 911. I'm like, okay, what about if your life's on fire? Who are you calling if your life's on fire? What three numbers? And then every once in a while, I have a kid yell out 988, but most of them don't know about it. We put that slide up there. We talk about 988. And I say, you know, think, let's go back to the, the fire analogy. You know, you get off the bus and your house is on fire. Are you going to look at that fire and go, ooh, that's not good. You know what? Mom gets off work in two and a half hours. I'm going to wait till mom gets home. Then I'm going to have a conversation with her and see if it's okay for me to dial 911. You wouldn't do that. Your house will burn to threat. Right? It's the sure. same thing. Like if, if you feel like harming yourself, or if you have a friend that says they're going to harm themselves, you don't wait. You dial 988. Uh, you, you get that immediate assistance because this is an emergency. And then you have those conversations with mom and dad later or with the school counselor or your therapist or whoever. You talk about that later. But if somebody feels like harming themselves or, or they've got a friend that makes a direct threat that they're going to do so, you don't wait. You dial 988. And so those are basically the three main ones that we give out to everybody. But uh, because you don't want to overload people, you give them 15 links and you basically gave them nothing, you know, but you give them three things that are actionable program seven cups into your phone program 988 into your contacts, download this app, they can all do that in 30 seconds, you know, and then they've got those resources with them forever. Those are so, so helpful. I didn't know any of those. So all thank right. you. Yeah. And parents are there that are listening, man, like you need a friend to ask on your phone, parents. I know a lot of you out there got kids and, you know, you start seeing behavioral changes in your kids. Like it's a great way to figure out what's going on with them. And sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's hormones and sometimes it's, you know, just being a teenager because being a teenager is hard. 
but sometimes it's more than that. And, and you want to have something that can give you a little bit of guidance there. And the first one is seven cubs or cups? Seven cups. The number seven and then C-U-P-S. Right. Sevencups.com. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So then, Coach Damon, what's next for the foundation? So you've spent the first year traveling, speaking, and I guess maybe I should back up and say, it, how are you guys funding? How are you all bringing in funding? Is part of that you're speaking? Are you all doing fundraising? Partnership sponsors? What does that look like? And I'm asking so people can either say, oh, I want to support or find their local that they can also figure out how they can support. But how are you guys initially now supporting the foundation? And then what's the future look like? Yeah, we we are 100% community and donation based. Uh, we we do not charge anything for what we do. And that's a, 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 again, it's just kind of a unique situation here. And maybe it's not, I again, I have experience with exactly one nonprofit and it's mine, you know? Uh, so, so I don't have a whole lot of experience with this, but uh, we we're a nonprofit in every sense of the word. We, we had that vision at the beginning because what I was charging for professional speaking engagements and what I do for, I still do a few speaking engagements a year on the professional side. And it's not, it's not an exorbitant amount of money, but most schools, quite honestly, are, are pinched for cash and couldn't afford to hire someone like myself to come in and do what we do. So the idea was let's let's remove that hurdle for schools and let's let's make this something that everybody can say yes to because everybody can afford free. And so we we do it for free. And that being said, we have overhead. I like to eat and I like to live indoors. So we we do have to find money somewhere. And so that and, and our overhead and our office fees, all those little things that go into running a business, those are all community funded. And we have had some tremendous support, namely from uh, Advisors Excel and, and Cody Foster, the founder of that company, that this was his vision in the first place, but also through his connections and the people that he knows and the people that I've met along the way, because it is really, really difficult to find somebody whose life hasn't been affected in one way or another, either directly or indirectly by, some, by the struggles with mental health. So we, we all have somebody in our lives who has died by suicide. We all have somebody, whether it's ourselves or someone else that we know and we care about that struggles with this stuff. And so people can make that connection. And it is a really easy thing for folks to donate to uh, because they, they believe in what we're trying to do. And they know that their money is going to a good purpose. And we, we are as bare bones of an organization as we can possibly be. And that will probably have to change eventually. We're probably going to have to hire more people, get more speakers because of the way that this thing has grown. But uh, at the same time, if there's anybody out there that wants to, to help us out, we, we have a, a website, thejonesproject.org, and I'll send you the link for that, but it's just thejonesproject.org. And there's a donate now button on there that can help, but the, the more important one is the contact us button. Because if you click on that, then that sends an email directly to me. It's not to some like scammy automated AI thing. It's like, it comes direct to me. And, and then I can give you a little bit more instruction on or, or direction on what we do, how we do it, how people can help out, all that kind of good stuff. We have uh, an event coming up that I'm absolutely terrified of because I did it last year. Um, it's, it's called 29029. And this is an event where you have 36 hours to climb a mountain and then you ride a ski lift back down to the bottom and then you do it again. And then you do it again and again and again. And here in about a month, um, I'll be in the Grand Tetons and I will attempt to climb this mountain 19 times in 36 hours. And this is not just an exercise in 
like physical toughness. It's also like an exercise in sleep deprivation. Because I don't know if you've ever stayed up for 24 hours. Think about what starts happening in your brain at that 24 hour mark. 36 hours is a different animal. And we did this thing last year with a, a crew of people from Advisors Excel and then some of the advisors that they work with from around the country. And with those people and some company matches from AE and a company match from a guy named Matt Newman, um, we raised $181,000 for our organization. And that's enough to keep the lights on for a few years. And so I, I crossed the finish line and one of the workers, like I, I had something like 17 minutes left on the clock and crossed the finish line, just totally spent. And one of the workers there is like a volunteer guy. I was like, so you're going to do it again next year? And I looked at him like he had two heads, man. I was like, are you crazy? No, no, <laughs> I'm not. But then they gave me that giant novelty check that, that had $181,000 written on it. I was like, you know what? I can stick it out for 36 hours if, if that's going to fund what we're doing and it's going to keep kids around that sometimes might not have otherwise wanted to stay around. And so, so, yeah, we've got that event coming up here. And each one of our climbers has their own individual campaign page and uh, we, we actually just launched that campaign literally yesterday. So, so that we don't have that update on our website yet, but, uh, we do have a, a general donate button there. It all goes into the same pile. Uh, so if anybody wants to get on support, they can send me an email and like, it's a competition between our, our different people that are climbing. So we're all trying to raise money more than each other, but, but at the same time, it's all going to the same cause. And one of the cool incentives that we've got this year, you asked if we are, we're only for the state of Kansas. Uh, we said there are some exceptions. Here's one. Um, the, the largest individual donor that, that donates to this thing, I'm going to get on a plane and go wherever the heck they want me to go and give a keynote to whoever they want me to give it to. So if that's at a place of business, uh, doesn't matter if it's five people or 5,000 in the audience, so we'll go do that thing. And we're, we are not shy from big crowds, so we'll be more than happy to do that. And I, I think that that's a good way that we can give back to our donor and like, we'll let these people know that like what you're doing matters. And then also like we can get on the road and do this for some other people. And that kind of spreads the message, spreads the word, and at least gets people talking, which is kind of the goal of what we're trying to do here. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I have never understood this concept. And since you have now done it and are about to do it again, maybe you can help me understand. Why would I give money to support you doing something crazy? <laughs> Like going up and down a mountain 19 times. Like, why do you have to do that? Why can't I just give you the money? I know I can, but what's the logic behind the running a marathon for 26 miles or running up and down? Right. Do you know the logic behind this? Well, you're you're right. You're certainly welcome to just give us money anytime you want to. You know, that's why we got that standing donation link on the page. But uh, I I think it's a it's not just an incentive. For, for the person that's giving the money. I think it's an incentive for the person that's that's competing in that event. And a, a good example is last year when, when I was in the, the short version of this, because this is a great story, but uh, about 3.30 in the morning, it is a driving thunderstorm, like as hard as it's ever been raining. And most people are camped out down at the lodge waiting for the storm to pass. I knew that I was a little bit behind schedule because like 240 pound men were not meant to climb mountains. Like we were meant to pick up heavy stuff one time, you know, not climb for 30, 36 straight hours. And so I was, my pace was a little sore than everybody else. I knew I couldn't afford to stop. And at one point, this is well past the 24 hour mark. I'm starting to get really delirious. Like, and that happens to me when I do endurance events. And 
so I'm kind of forgetting where I'm at and my my headlamp had shorted out in the rain. So I'm the only one on the mountain, at least in that section. I couldn't see another human being. It's pouring rain, it's completely dark outside. And then all of a sudden I run into a tree and I'm like, wait a minute, what was I doing? Like, this is how delirious I was. And I look around and it's like, oh yeah, we were doing that mountain climbing thing. Cause I'd just gotten lost in my own head and had no idea what was happening. It was just that repetitive motion of keep climbing, keep climbing. And then I was like, wait a minute, there's no trees on this course. And what happened was I had, without a headlamp, just straight off course and just walked out into the woods and walked into this tree. And then at that point, it was just like, man, what am I doing here? Why, why in the world am I doing this? You know, if I turn and go that way, I have no idea where the trail is right now, but I can let gravity do the work. I can head back down, be done with this stupid thing and get back to getting healthy and like getting some food in me, getting some sleep, all that. And then it was like, yeah, I've got those internal voices talking back and forth. And then all of a sudden it was just like, man, you got to remember why you're here. You got to remember how many people put into this thing and how much you got riding on the line. Like, yeah, they're still going to donate. Uh, and yet that money's still going to come through whether you finish this thing or not. But if you back down from this tremendous challenge and you go back with your tail tucked between your legs, you're going to have to tell all of those donors man, I made 10 laps. I didn't quite make 13 because last year was a different mountain. Uh, I didn't quite make 13. And then they're going to be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, good luck getting money from me next year because you didn't put out the effort that you, you probably could have. So I think it's a, a symbiotic thing where it's like they're encouraging me to do my thing and I'm going to back it up by doing something incredible so that they, they can then tell their friends, hey, look where my money went. They went to helping this dude do this for this cause. So I think it's a mutually beneficial thing for both people. So if uh, that would be my best guess as to why people ride bikes across states or run marathons or climb mountains or do these other things that most people would think is, is you know, not the wisest thing that you could do. But, uh, but yeah, it seems to work. So there, yeah. there's got to be a reason people keep doing it. Well, definitely. Thank you for sharing how people Absolutely. can give. And I hope that this mountain climb goes ex extremely well for you this year. I'm sure it's going to go you. great. I appreciate it. <laughs> right. Uh, I just hope I live through it because this one's going to be gnarly. But... As we start to wrap up here, I want to ask something. Um, I really want to ask something personal because you've talked about some great things that you've done, some amazing successes that you've had. Um, but this all starts somewhere. Like, I don't know, did it start in your youth, your mindset, your work ethic, your the way that you think about things? Where did this start for you, Damon? Because you mentioned you wrestled when you were a kid. The Coach Up Podcast is open to sponsors. If you have a product, a service, if you are a coach of coaches, your business serves coaches. This is the place where you want to spotlight and highlight your business. If you would like to grab your own sponsorship spot on the Coach Up Podcast, you can reach out to me at coachup at gmx.us today to reserve your spot for us to talk about how you can get in front of this growing audience. And the amazing thing is because the Coach Up Podcast is still new, you will be able to get in for extremely reasonable rates for a much longer time for your product, your service, your company to be in front of this growing audience of coaches. So take advantage today. If you would like to hear how you can spotlight your business on the Coach Up Podcast.
Yeah, and you know, it was gosh, it's really hard to pinpoint one thing, but I I think a lot of it came from from wrestling. And I played a lot of other sports too, but you know, I was I was always a large kid, uh, but I wasn't an athletic kid. Like I was one of those, and as an athlete, you know, you, you maybe you were this person, or maybe you worked around these kind of people. I was the first athlete in my family ever. Like my parents never played sports, anything like that. Um, and I was I was a very heavy set kid, and it was just, you know, I, I finally had that realization of, you know, after like, you know, I I went through a lot of bullying type stuff when I was a kid too. It was like, okay, well, I'm always gonna. And, I hope I don't offend anybody with this, but it's just what went, went through my head at that age. It was when I was in seventh grade. It was like, okay, there's not much I can do about being the fat kid. Okay, I'm going to be the fat kid, at least for a while. But I can at least be the fat kid that can whip your butt if you come at me, right? And so it was like, let's let's take what we have here and let's weaponize it and let's work as hard as we can so that we get to a point where you know we don't have to use it. You know what I mean? And so like, I got to that point where like, and I was terrible at first. I don't think I won a single match my seventh or eighth grade year. But then all of a sudden, like it, it was a great exercise in perseverance because and it, through no fault of my own, I wanted to quit, but my dad wouldn't let me because he had just bought me new wrestling shoes. So like, I, I had to stick it out. And, but then all of a sudden get to freshman year, start getting a little hair on the chest, muscles start growing a little bit. It's like, okay, wait a minute, I, I can do this. And so I think that's where this thing started. And it's like, we've had opportunities to do a lot of other stuff, but I think there's a reason I keep coming back to coaching wrestling. And that's because, you know, I want other kids to get out of this when I got out of this. I want them to go from that soft seventh grade kid that was getting picked on every single day to become someone that other people look up to. And I think anybody that comes through our sport or through our program has an opportunity to do that. And so, so yeah, I think it, it probably started with the sport of wrestling, but um, you can find those little life lessons anywhere, man. Uh, it doesn't depend, like, and you can start now. Like, it doesn't have to be something that started when you were in seventh grade or before that or whatever. Like, there's every bit passing moment is a chance to turn everything around. And you find people that inspire you, find people you want to emulate and just work towards or be a thief. Okay? And I, I tell people, I'm not a good coach. I'm a good thief. Like I find things that work for other people that would apply to my situation. I steal their ideas. I tweak them, make them my own. And, and it works for my people. And it's, I encourage everyone, go be a thief, man. Like take from, take the things that work. Don't be afraid to try them with your people. If they don't work, punt them and go find something else you can steal. Right. And if you, the, the end goal is regardless of what business that you're in, what you do for a living, you want to steal other people's ideas change them so that they become your own and then once they become your own tweak them to the point where they are so good that somebody else steals them from you and if you can do that then you're going to be successful in whatever it is you do coach damon do your kids tell you when you say something like that that's a bar that's a bar you've never heard that oh oh sorry it took me a minute yeah uh, i'm getting a little man i can't keep up with it but uh uh no i haven't heard that at least not on that kind of stuff uh like with my own two kids personally, like my children, um, they're tired of hearing the coachisms around the house, man, <laughs> because they hear it all day, every day. But my, uh, with my athletes, like I see them sparingly enough to where it still holds a lot of impact. Yeah. Now what you just said was a bar. Wow. Well, right, I'll take that. Yes. Okay. We're going to get into the, before you go quick fire round questions, Coach Damon, you have truly, what you have shared today, and I'm, you said it earlier, but I'm glad I want to repeat it. Everything you've talked about can be applied not only in the athletic world, in business world, but in life. I, 
it applies to all of that. We just have to take lessons and make them applicable where they go. So thank you for what you shared. All right, are you ready, Coach? I'm ready. Okay. Coach, what's the one tool or app you would not do business without right now? Uh, Wing. I have, again, when I got to the point where this thing was just blowing up, I couldn't keep up with it. And again, my strengths are being on stage and connecting with kids. My strengths are not being organized. Like if you looked at my desk, you'd be like, oh, goodness gracious. There's a reason I'm doing this thing from a kitchen table right now. Okay. Uh, and so I remember about a month into it, I was like, what can I, like, how can I find somebody that can on Monday say, all right, Monday, you're going here, Tuesday, you're going here, and this is when you need to leave, and this is what you need to break. That's what I need. And there's a, a website called Wing where you can get a personal assistant. I didn't even know this existed. And I've got this woman named Mary. Hi, Mary, if you're listening. Uh, she lives in the Philippines, and she works a half a day for me um, from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. her time uh, because, like, she already works somebody for somebody else. So she is up in the middle of the night doing this stuff for me. And she is an absolute rock star. Like she's not, she, and working remote, she could very easily get done with the tasks that I have for her that day. And then be like, oh yeah, I'm totally working over here. But no, like she gets done with something. She's like, okay, boss, what next? You know, she's, she's incredible. And it's very, very reasonably priced. And by running through this organization wing, um, I didn't have to hire somebody that's going to be in-house, which meant that I didn't need to have office space, which meant that we don't have to provide benefits, all that kind of stuff, because that comes through that wing organization, which also means that I can hire someone who has a background in exactly what I was looking for. So if you're out there starting a small business and you need someone that can work either part-time or full-time, and it doesn't matter whether they're remote or in the office, wing is a great place to work. I'm going to tell you why it's so funny, your answer, and when I read it, when you sent it back to me, this is just how God works. Um, literally up until I sent you this, all the other coaches that I have talked to, this list of questions had on there the name of a virtual assistant or an assistant that you utilize really? that's amazing. And because all most, I won't say all, most of my coaches were like, either I'm not telling you their name because I don't want to, I don't want to share them <laughs> or they didn't have one. I was like, okay, I'll just take it off. So for that to be, so that's the Lord telling me, Kanisha, I told you the questions to ask. I need you to put my question back on there. Okay, I'm gonna do that. <laughs> that's terrific. Okay, number two, what tool do you use to collect payments from your clients? And that includes, I'm asking also, um, when you do your own professional speaking. Okay, um, through, we have a, a, a website called Wave that we use. And Wave is a, a free way to, kick out invoices and you can receive payments online and all that kind of stuff. Uh, quite honestly, again, we're, we're pretty non-traditional with the way that we do stuff. Most schools can't do online payments and they can't do Venmo. They can't do all that kind of stuff. Uh, they have to pay with that old school paper check, which in all honesty, we, we prefer because then, you know, wing or sorry wave doesn't take their little cut of it and there's no processing fees and all that like an old, old school paper check is great i just got to go to the bank every once in a while now again we're not charging anything from schools so sometimes they'll pay us for mileage or sometimes they'll have a booster card that wants to make a donation usually they just send over a uh, send over a check to us now through the professional speaking side 
Uh, it, it really just depends on the client, how they want to do it. Some of them, again, if they have to go through a board or what have you, they'll, they'll write a check because they want that paper trail. Uh, if not, like sometimes they want to do it super easy and kind of new school. And so we go Venmo or what have you. Uh, but it, it really just depends. Now with our, our nonprofit, if we've got a fundraiser going on, which we do a couple a year, we run through a CRM software called Network for Good. And they've been pretty great. It's a great way to like, let's say Kanisha makes a donation to our our mountain climb that we have coming up when you put in all of your information that saves your information in our database through network for good and then once a quarter i can send out a quarterly update that it's like hey this is what we've been doing here's a little video thank you what have you and then i can send that out to all of our constituents that have donated to us in the past so that works out pretty well uh but then also if like six months from now i was like oh i need to ask Kanisha a question but I, I don't have that email actually deleted i've got all your information there so then i can just reach out to you individually or let's say that Kanisha's grandmother wants to make a donation and she makes just a random one-off july 12th donation that's not for anything specific then it'll automatically kick back a thank you to her a tax donation receipt and and then i can reach out to her directly. So Network for, Bit for Good has been pretty good to us. And I'm sure there's lots of other CRM software out there, but this one checked all the boxes for us. So it worked pretty well. Excellent, thank you. And thank you for Waze because I've not heard of that one and it's free. So that's a really good one. Okay, um, most effective method for you securing new clients? Be good, be good at what you do. Uh, put put that, that client or, <laughs> or, or person that you're going to speak to or audience or what have you, uh, be so good at what you do. And I think I might've said this earlier, but be so good at what you do that the person that you work with talks to their people and insists that they work with you as well. And that's it. It's, I think everything that we do is, is relationship because people do business with folks that they know, they like, and they trust. And if you can check those three boxes and be helpful for people, then you'll never be unemployed. Right, you'll always have somebody that that has you in demand because you're so good at what you do. That's good. And, Last and it's like a, real quick, one other thing, yeah. right? like be good. That doesn't always mean like be good, like while you're across from that person or while you're on that stage or what have you. You know, like sometimes people hear when I'm on the professional side, they hear what we get for a check, and I, man, they write you a check for 60 minutes worth of work. And it's like, no, they don't. They write me a check for every morning that I got up at four in the morning and I rehearsed from four to 6 a.m. because my kids weren't awake yet. And that's when I could get some uninterrupted time. Okay? They pay me for spending a summer developing a keynote or developing a talk. They don't pay me for the 60 minutes. Like they hand me the check at the end of the 60 minutes, but they pay me for the work that happens in the dark that nobody else in the world sees except for my dog. Come on. Come so be on. Good. It's just about when you're working with a person. It's about when you're working with yourself. Yes. Say, oh, say that one more time. I said, being good doesn't have to, or doesn't just talk about like when you're with that person. It talks about when you're with yourself. You gotta, you gotta have those championship, that championship mentality. And you gotta be willing to do in the darkness what other people are not willing to do. And if you're, if you're okay with that, and of course there has to be a work-life balance there, but like if you're okay with putting in work and doing things that other people aren't willing to do and going that extra step to handwrite that thank you instead of instead of typing an email or make that phone call instead of you know sending a text message, if you're willing to do those little bitty things, man, it's an aggregate. They they add up to something big. And that what that's what makes you good at what you do. Okay. Because like whatever it is that you're selling, somebody else is selling the same thing. Why should they buy it from you? 
Okay, it's because you're willing to go the extra mile and do those things that that other vendor or or what have you isn't willing to do. That's it. Okay, Coach Damon, last one. One book or podcast you recommend as the absolute must that you have to consume? What podcast? I'm or sorry, book. breaking up there. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yep. well, I'll give you one of each. Um, Business of Advice podcast. Uh, and it's hosted, like it's by that guy that I talked about earlier, Cody Foster. And it's, you got, you see this guy that built this company from nothing a decade ago. And now it's a $500 million company. I can learn something from that dude. Okay. Now I don't work in the, in the financial realm. I've never done anything with that, but kind of like what you've got going on right now, he has people on from lots of different walks of life. And he understands that, that you can learn something from every human being on this planet. And he has some people on there that everybody has heard of. And he has some people on there that most of us probably haven't heard of. And I've learned something from every single episode of that podcast, whether it's how to give a good gift or how to get a, a lead on your next engagement or what have you. Like there's, there's always something that you can pick up from everybody that's on there. So that's business of advice podcast. And if you see a dude that looks kind of like me, a uh, bald dude, like on the, on the cover, that's what you want. Subscribe, download that thing today. Cause it's awesome. Uh, as far as books go, uh, the, the one that I would recommend probably above all else is atomic habits by James clear. Uh, if you haven't read that one, I've probably gifted that book to more people than any other book in my life. There are, there are some books that are good. Some that are so good. You tell other people about, and some that are so good, they change your life and you buy it for another person. And you say, no, 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 you're going to read this right? And not the Kindle version. You're going to get this paperback version so that you can get your pencil out. You can make notes because what it talks about, and man, I talked about, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blabbing too much. I get excited about this stuff. But we, uh, last night at the end of that girls camp, we talked about, I was like, what's an aggregate? I could tell that was a word that most kids hadn't heard. And I was like, okay, think about cement. Cement is an aggregate. Cement by itself isn't a thing, right? But it, cement has four ingredients for the most part. It's got sand, it's got clay, it's got water, and it's got heat. Now, those four things by themselves really don't make up anything. It's really hard to build a house with heat. It's really hard to build a house with just sand. It's not going to stand for very long, okay? But if you put those four things together in the right proportions enough times, you've made a brick. And if you make enough bricks, you can build a cathedral. So it's not about trying to come out and build the cathedral right away. It's about taking these little small things, these little bitty things that seem insignificant, like making that phone call instead of a text. And you add enough of those little things together and they come together and they build something really, really special. And that's what that book Atomic Habits is about. It's about creating these little bitty habits in your life every day, being intentional about just about everything that you do that seem insignificant at the time, but they're gonna add up to you being successful in whatever it is you choose to do with your life. Okay, on a podcast, you shouldn't have long pauses, but when you have things drop just like that, it's just like you drop the mic and you, what else is there to say <laughs> after that? That's, awesome. That's it. I'll take it, man. Coach, Damon, this has been amazing. Please tell people how they can reach you, reach out to you and connect with you. Yeah, it's the easiest way is Damon at the jonesproject.org. That's my direct email. Or you could just Google the Jones Project. I'm sure we're one of the top couple things that comes up there. And uh, uh, yeah, reach out, man. I'd, I'd love to talk to anybody. And again, none of my emails even go to my assistant. They all come directly to me. So you're talking to a real human being. I'd love to chat with you and see how we can be of service. Absolutely. We all, I'll make sure that how people can give and support 
um, is included in the show notes. And I just want to say thank you for being on the Coach Show podcast. I have learned listening to you. Um, awesome. Yeah, and it, it has been great and been inspired. And congratulations again on all the success, the work that you're doing with the Jones Project, but also all the success that you're having with the, again, I'm partial as a lady with all the girls and what they're uh-huh. doing. Really excited for them. Well, thanks for having me on, Kadesh. This is awesome. Hope it's helpful for your people. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Coach Up Podcast. Coach Damon Parker truly left us with inspiration about how we can make decisions that can completely change our lives, even at the pinnacle of success, and how to persevere. And I hope that message came through for you today and will be able to apply to an area in your life where you need to persevere and where you need to keep going and you need hope and faith and inspiration to do that. Be sure to connect and follow Coach Damon on all platforms. All of those can be found on the show notes on how to do that. And there's also a link that if you want to give to the Jones Project and support the work that's being done to help our young children, our youth, to improve their mental health, please be sure to do that. As always, thank you for listening to another episode of the Coach Up Podcast. I'll see you on the next episode. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. We'd love to get your feedback on how you're enjoying the Coach Up Podcast.